0: Hello and welcome to the Ripple podcast. Now that the entries have been chosen, we've been trying to interview a few of the participants. I'm Raven. And I'm Maya. And this week we're here with Molly, Ben, and Simone. We're starting off a little differently with some readings from the authors.
1: And here is Molly reading from her piece, The Wind Lover.
2: I've always hated the wind. Some people love it. It's actually a theory of mine that people are either born wind lovers or wind haters, and there's just no in between. I think the wind was the very first thing I hated. You'll hear stories of wind lovers, sailors standing proudly, squinting into the horizon on the decks of a boat, wind snapping at the sails, the clinking of the halyards against the mast. I picture an English woman who married a sailor. She has furious red hair and lives on a Cornish cliffside and helps him build boats. I picture her standing on the quay in the morning, clutching a coffee, staring out to sea. Her dramatic red curls whip around her face. I I would be a wind lover too if I was her.
1: Here's Ben reading from A Misremembered Moon.
3: Hands clamping over her damaged optical receptor, Fizz retreated into the shadows of the dim alleyway. The human lurched towards her, swinging his improvised weapon from side to side as a warning, eyes wild. Supporting herself as she lowered herself warily, Fizz kept one hand pressed to her eye. Metal teeth bared, she retreated deeper and deeper into the alleyway. Back away, little robotic freak, the human growled, face vehemently red. Pink and purple neon reflected off the puddle at his feet. He fainted up forwards before striking at her. Her systems protested at the sudden stress, frantically reporting damage to her torso and upper arm. Get lost! Fizz reeled backwards. She crashed onto the ground heavily, falling onto a side before scrambling upright once more. Thin vapour from the sewers shimmered towards the darkened, stormy sky. After a moment more to consider her options, she turned about and fled. Alleys and avenues branched out into each other and led into the same closed spaces over and over again. At last, she came to an empty plaza that overlooked a steep, deadly drop into the accumulator fields at the base of the city. Even a thousand metres up, Fizz could see errant electricity arcing between the pylons. Footsteps thundered after her. She twisted about, dropping low and hurrying behind a towering tree, plaza centrepiece. The holographic leaves flickered, faint turquoise lights brightening the plaza with a sickly aura. Fizz crouched closer to the ground, burying herself into the shadows at the base of the tree, her extraneous lights faded as she went into low-power mode. Her hydraulics tensed up. The footsteps grew louder as the human came into the plaza, drawing up at the top of some steps. Two others flanked him. There was a sharp click before the gentle whine of a hard-light pistol charging up echoed around the place. She froze.
1: And finally, we have Simone reading from the only play scripts that we have featured in this year's Ripple, Breaking the Rules.
0: Dim lights opened the stage. There was a bar with two stools in front of it. There are also two round tables, each with two chairs. Behind the bar, a bartender sits tapping away on her phone. Bob Marley's Three Little Birds plays lightly in the background. Paul walks onto the stage in a blue three-piece suit and goes over to the bar. He pulls out the stool, removing his mask and sits down, dumping the mask on the counter. Double JD on the rocks. The bartender, without looking up from her phone, points to a bottle of hand sanitizer on the counter. But I just washed my hands. The bartender looks up and stares directly into Paul's eyes before pointing to the bottle of sanitizer for the second time. Paul sighs and pumps some of the sanitizer into his hands. Slowly, he rubs his hands together while glaring at the bartender, whose back is now to him, as she prepares the whiskey. The bartender turns around and puts the whiskey in front of Paul while giving his mask a look of disgust. As Paul picks up the drink, she whips a pen from her back pocket and uses it to lift the mask by its strings.
1: What the hell are you? It's a disposable.
4: She drops the mask in the bin. And I would have disposed of it when I got home. Rules are rules. Whose rules?
1: Don't you watch the news? Like yesterday. Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. We are evolving. Is this your first time submitting to Ripple or similar anthologies and publications?
3: I did submit to a poetry anthology in high school. However, Ripple's the first time I've like sent into a substantial piece. I'm not really big into poetry and prose is more of my main focus. So to do this was pretty fun.
0: That's cool. Yeah. So it's only like you don't do a whole lot of submitting, basically?
3: Yeah, no. I'm kind of... Always looking for things, but, like, I always find that anthologies tend to have, like, a paywall to them, and yeah, I I don't have that much money to be throwing at things that I might not even get to be in.
0: Yeah, I know, like, when I was looking at submitting pieces, my dad had had suggested looking at Tor, because they do sci-fi, and I had a sci-fi piece that I was shopping at that time, but the submission price was, like, too much. I was like, I do not have... $50 or whatever to submit and then for you guys to be like, no.
3: I know that when um, I was in my undergraduate, I was part of the Creative Writing Society and we were intending, but we never got around to doing it, but we were intending to cover the costs as part of the society funding. Uh, However, that never really got off the ground because we didn't have the attendance to warrant that sort of thing. So...
1: Yeah. that's a lovely idea though
3: they didn't work out
1: mm-hmm. for a society to do that I think that's a that's a really good cause maybe we should set up some kind of I don't know GoFundMe for <laughs> for.
0: me go fund me for struggling writers yeah I, <laughs> out there. I could use that that's what's always confused me about like expensive things just like them charging to submit because it's like you don't make a lot of money early on as a writer when you're submitting to these anthologies like where do you think I'm gonna get this spare cash?
1: (laughs) I guess it again leads to like how publishing and published authors Mm. are only the already well-off people and putting up these paywalls in a certain way is like cutting us off from hearing more diverse voices and people that can't afford exactly. to just sit around and write all day
4: <laughs> yes it is I've never submitted any of my work to be published before now cool, awesome
2: you. so this is actually my second time published by Ripple last year I did a kind of love letter to Kingston Riverside that I wrote on a bench facing the river when I was waiting for a lecture and I just basically submitted it because I don't know I just felt like it but my mum liked it and so I was just like that's enough validation and yeah that went in last year and then aside from that I've done little bits and bobs for friends zines and blogs and stuff but I've actually published something under a pseudonym but it's taken quite a while for me to be confident putting my own name to stuff
4: what was the inspiration for your piece? My inspiration was Endgame by Samuel Beckett and The Dumb Waiter by Harold Pinter. It was part of my course, my Structure and Styles course. We were tasked with writing a play and so I decided, it's Fear of the Absurd, so I decided to just try something different really.
1: And what made you want to set it sort of in the Covid era?
4: because I felt like there's nothing more absurd than what's happening now. I think when I wrote the play, we were sort of bang in the middle of the epidemic and it was just confusing. The rules were confusing for everyone, hence the name of the play, Breaking the Rules, because it seemed like everyone was confused about what we could and couldn't do. And also even the MPs were were struggling to um, follow their own rules, so to speak. So that gave me the idea just to um, set it now in, in today's time, because it just felt like it would be more relatable.
1: Definitely. I mean, yeah,
0: and i I definitely out. had interactions that feel like a bit from a Samuel Beckett play <laughs> where it's constantly like a or, or like a who's on first. Like it's all just kind of an absurdist. You're not having the same conversation as someone else's all the time. And your play definitely captured that feeling of not knowing what's going on or what you're supposed to be doing.
4: I'm glad to hear that. And I think that's that was really why I chose the pandemic as well, because, you know, As you said, if you read Endgame, you know, you never really know what's happening. Um, People are talking at different times and it's just confusion at some points in the play. And that's how I think I was feeling and the the nation was feeling at that time due to, um, you know, what's been going on.
3: Visually, I was inspired by both the Blade Runner films because that is kind of, the cyberpunk overtones that i have going on the concept was more of like an emotional issue i was feeling in regards to the university because fizz kind of has this thing in the story where she doesn't feel like she's lived up the potential how the story ties up is that fizz is looking forward to like what she can achieve which is sort of in the same boat where i am i also wanted to challenge myself with like a new genre since mostly i just write fantasy stories and It's just, I just wanted to, like, put myself out there and just try something new. That's more or less what I wanted to do. Well, I
1: think it paid off. I really enjoyed it. I I just assumed that you were naturally a sci-fi guy. Hmm.
0: (laughs) I was definitely going to ask about, like, Blade Runner and Matrix energy going on there, because I can definitely picture that, like, the sci-fi techno future, where every sign is in Chinese for some reason.
3: Yeah, Um, that was certainly what was in my head.
0: (laughs) that specific aesthetic <laughs> yeah sort of like the firefly-esque vibe but the, the more yeah, certainly,
3: funky version. Like, yeah yeah like not not a clean future but like a really grungy one where mm-hmm. it's like everything's kind of broken when it gets there
0: yeah those are always like the fun sort of past the utopia almost type of sci-fi yes, yeah. yeah i also think sci-fi is a really natural evolution of fantasy in a lot of ways because <clears> <throat> it's just Fantasy but with less magic stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. Just technology instead.
0: Exactly. And what is sci- magic if not science we haven't figured out yet. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh
1: wow, Quite full raven moments again.
0: That is not me. Not in my own. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking credit for that. Someone else definitely said that first and I'm just repeating it. But I cannot remember who to attribute it to, so <laughs> that would get me caught for the plagiarism cops but
1: you're also known for listening to the ripple pop podcast
0: our listeners (laughs) plagiarism cops (laughs) I also think they're called the FCC
2: (laughs) so for a few years I actually lived on a farm um in some tower it sounds really dramatic but it was just an old watchtower and I lived in there and one night there was a really crazy storm and my window just smashed randomly because of the wind. And I'm just so I'm such an easily spooked person and it really freaked me out. And I, I just hate the wind. It always bothers me. It puts me in a really bad mood and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I just kind of started writing about how much I hate the wind <laughs> and it just kind of led to a little piece. The rest of it's entirely fictional although a couple of my friends asked to be named as the characters which um which is quite funny because it's quite fun to kill off one of your mates
1: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was gonna actually ask if uh, Mabel was a real person
2: yeah she is she's she's one of my best mates and um she she really just shotgunned it was on a whatsapp group chat and I just said who wants to be named in a piece and Maeve was like shotgun me, and I was like, well, you're dying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always when I was in like high school and stuff, my friends would always ask to be the named character in pieces, and I was like, only if I can get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, but also that's like, how do you how do you justify it if their name <laughs> it kind of isn't right for the part either, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly, because it's got to be perfect. Naming characters is so hard sometimes.
2: Yeah it so is like I know um, JK Rowling's come under a lot of fire at the moment but she definitely names characters like she's got a formula where it's it's has to go like duh duh da 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 and that's always a good name. And oh, really what
1: from both like first name and last name?
2: Yeah so like basically a name like Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> is going to be an excellent kind of formula for a name because it's got that duh-duh-duh sound <laughs> that makes it really addictive.
1: Oh, I see what you mean, like there's always st- a rhythm to it. Yeah, I
0: guess, is that iambic or is that, um, what's the other one? My teachers would be so mad at me right now for not remembering. It's
1: like pent- yeah, aren't you a linguistics
3: grad?
0: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> might have pre- a degree in linguistics. It's so it's iambic pen. and then it might be, it's not pentameter. Because that's the number of syllables in the line. It's five syllables. Iambic means it's stressed and then unstressed. And then there's unstressed, stressed. Yeah. I'm doing the hand motions that are for the symbols. No, but it makes sense. (laughs) Because there's two (laughs) symbols you use when you're making a linguistic, like, writing of stressed and unstressed. And unstressed is, like, a little U. And stressed is, like, a line. So that's yeah. why I'm kind of doing that, but it's there's an unstressed and stressed one, and like if you do something that really follows either iambic or the other one, then it's very pleasing to an English speaker. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because we
0: like grouped feet of syllables.
2: Ooh, it's so weird and cute. I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we but like our stressed patterns. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure plenty
1: of other non-problematic authors have thought something cool and similar.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Any writing tips for inspiring creative writers that might be
2: listening? So I think I mean everyone is kind of the most obvious ones are reading um, and taking around notepads for or keeping a note app on your phone for randomly profound thoughts or good descriptions but I would also say for me mainly but I know it's the case for a lot of writers if observation is what you're aiming for to be a muscle that you need to learn things like working working in retail or service industry jobs is so good it's a mine for characters and just unique organic situations that you probably couldn't automatically come up with in your head constantly because you know only the true creative geniuses can do that most most of the best story ideas have come from or character ideas have come from someone who does exist and when you work in one of those jobs where you become the furniture People behave so differently around you because it's like you're invisible, you don't matter. And so you can just absorb all of their weird things that they say and do and you just go home. And it kind of turns around working in a kind of deadbeat job into something that you can use as like research or something.
1: That's amazing I've never looked at sort of those kind of professions that way because i worked in plenty of like retail jobs where yeah like he you says, you're part of the furniture you fade into the background but actually it's the best place to people watch and you're not even people watching because you actually engage and you actually speak to them so you yeah, get yeah.
2: extra characterization there oh I love it. Exactly oh, some of the most funny things that happen are just dumb things that happen in pubs or cafes and just by spinning your perspective and seeing yourself as a journalist in the situation rather than just like you know oh eight pounds an hour doing something crap you can see it as more like I'm getting a unique perspective on people's lives and if someone's got a fantastic name then you can write that down I worked in a pet shop for a while and it was a really posh area of London and so I had some of the most, I had Gary Lineker come in one time and he wanted to match his dog to a correct collar and stuff like that and it was just wanting to give his dog vegan dog food and stuff, it was just so so entertaining.
1: (laughs) Wow I love that, I bet you've got some amazing uh, stories and inspiration from
3: that dog. Well if we are trying to be quotable I'd say mine is consistency is king because just make sure that you're always like writing at least a little every day. Otherwise you kind of fall into bad habits. And that's that's the thing that I face the most is like, oh yeah, I've written about a thousand words. I'll take a day off or something. And then I never write again for like three weeks. Always be writing a little bit. It doesn't matter how small it is. But like as long as you contribute to what you're doing, you're in a good place.
4: Well, it's a cliche, but just write. I think that if, if you're really struggling, a course is always good. I mean, there's some of the best writers never went to do a creative writing course. So it's not necessarily something you have to do. But I do believe that by doing a writing course, a creative writing course, it gives you confidence and not just that, you get to speak to seasoned writers um, who will look at your work. You're never really gonna be in a space like that other than maybe when you're doing um, a creative writing course. Um, you have lecturers who can look at your work. And I think that's really, really helpful if you're not sure about your writing and you, you kind of wanna put yourself out there, but you don't have that confidence, especially me being a mature student. And when you're going through a career change, I think a creative writing course is definitely the way forward.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's good to... Do you learn a lot about form and style and, I guess, maybe the history of different ways of writing and then you can sort of implement that into your own work? Or is it very much more of a, like, free-for-all?
4: No, you do. You learn about different forms and also it challenges you to write in forms you may never have written in before. So, for me, I've always wrote prose However, when I had done my BA at Roehampton University, I did a cross-film module, I did a few film modules. Mm-hmm. So I started to write some screenplays and then obviously coming to Kingston and doing structure and style, one of the reasons why I chose to do that module is because it challenged me to write in forms I'd never wrote before. And actually, if I hadn't gone on to do this MA, I don't, I love to read poetry, but I don't write poetry but you know I was able to do a few decent poems and also this play is actually the first play I've ever wrote so that's so cool yeah (laughs) thank you
1: welcome back to the ripple podcast we're going to finish up with our usual mini book club segment. It's going to be a bit different this time with our new format, so it'll just be a book recommendation from each of our speakers today.
3: Certainly. um, I I really like Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. It was the first book I read twice in one sitting because I just loved it that much, and I'm planning on reading it again soon this year because it was one of my first favourite books ever, pretty much. It's just I find it like really easy to digest, and I really like revisiting it. Like, I know it was um, a television series. I still haven't gotten around to uh, watching that. I think the book is really good.
1: Cool. I've never read any um, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman. I'm not
0: sure what his name is.
3: Yeah, uh,
1: I've never read it's Neil Gaiman, yeah. Is that the... Would you recommend that book as sort of an entryway?
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the shortest ones he's written. So if you're not, like, fully committed, um, I certainly wouldn't recommend doing America. That's i was going to say not start.
0: American Gods. <laughs> no, no,
3: that that one is very That's difficult a lot. To if you're looking to you get
0: a, into Neil Gaiman, probably either Neverwhere or Good Omens, which is a Terry yeah. Pratchett joint as well, but very very easy to read.
3: I think I think the first one of his I read was a Nancy boys and I really enjoyed that. And um but I just I just prefer Neverwhere more cuz I think it's the one, one of his stories that he's set in London and I suppose it's more relatable because like, I know the references more.
1: I like that. And is it like full fantasy?
3: Yeah, it's like an urban fantasy sort of thing. It's got kind of the, like they're all in underground sort of and it's got the symbolism of a fantasy story. But I think it is also got some connections to like the real world
2: oh I have so many because I I basically have a book recommendations newsletter um where I do like three or four a month um but I tend to I really like recommending books that aren't you know they've kind of slipped under the radar because people everyone's obsessed with Goodreads and I think you end up, everyone just goes in these um, echo chambers of always, everyone's just reading the same book and promoting the same book. And, you know, often they are great, but then a lot of the time you get a bit of an emperor's new clothes situation where people say that they loved it because Dolly Alderton said she loved it. And then it's just, so I kind of like recommending books that I've stumbled across that aren't massively well-known um, and the most recent one that I really loved was called The Deeper the Water, The Uglier the Fish um, by Katia Abikina. Um She's, I think she's Californian, and not only has it got just the most epic title, um, it's basically, it discusses kind of the relationship between the art and the artist, and it discusses the kind of problematic trope of the tortured artist and how damaging um, they can be to the people around them and they get away with it because they're artists. And um, it's about these two artists who both have their troubles and they've got children who are kind of nothing like each other, but a lot like their parents. And there's it's kind of dips into a Lolita style depraved, bit of narrative which is very dark and twisty but kind of like it and I loved it I read it in a day and recommended it to everyone and I don't know anyone who's said that they didn't like it even people that are a bit prudish are like secretly a bit obsessed. Both,
1: both me and Raven
0: are big. We're infamously quite prudish. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we need to check, check this one out. But
2: it does sound like right on my street. That sounds amazing. What's it called again? Uh the deeper the water, the uglier the fish. I think if you liked something like if you read My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Oh,
1: I love that book. I love it. Yeah, it's that kind of vibe.
2: It's, it's people put in a light that men wouldn't like to see them in but is more honest than how a lot of texts will write women so
1: yeah that definitely sounds like my street amazing thank you so much yeah. yeah
4: a book recommend my sister the serial killer
1: i just listened to this as an audio book i loved it it
4: is an amazing book the reason why i've been recommending this one lately is because I'm always trying to get non-readers to read because, you know, we always just, you know, when you're a reader, you just want everyone to share that joy. And what I like about this, my sister, the series is such, it's a complex narrative, but it's written simply, you know, and what I've said to, um, to, to people about that book is that, you know, even if you really don't like reading a chapter can be like three pages, So just say to yourself, you know, I'm going to read the first chapter in a hope in the hope that it will it will work for them. And by the time they get through the third chapter, they're like us and they're immersed in this in this book. So that is my recommendation for 2021.
1: (laughs) Nice. And the authors are Kingston creative writing.
4: Yes. Yes. So That was good to know.
1: I've
0: had this book on my to read for so long because I've only heard good things
4: about it. And I don't even know why I haven't read it yet. Like, oh, If you open it, yeah. you won't be able to close it. And, I mean, now, when I was younger, you know, you'd read books in a day as standard. You know, if you're a reader, you, you understand that. But now with so many other commitments, you don't have time to read much. So nowadays, any book that I get through in a two days, that is an amazing book because it means that I'm ignoring the kids a bit. You know, and uh, My Sister the Serial Killer was one, another one actually – Blood Orange. This book is amazing. If you like a bit of thriller and you like, you know, the sort of what's happening, not sure. It's obviously more. It's. I would say it's for someone who more enjoys reading, you know. But def- have you read this this book, Blood Orange? Okay, what's the What's the plot? What's the? I don't want to ruin it for you. You yeah, know, any time I give anyone a plot, it, 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 I'd say too much. But it's about a woman who. She's married, she's a barrister, and um, she's having an affair. But she she's almost unravelling because she drinks a lot and her, ch- her daughter and her husband are sort of not really happy about, obviously, her lifestyle, coming home late from the bars, all these things.
1: Mm. But
4: there's a fantastic twist. I love books with a twist. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I always find myself saying this, that I am still yet to find a thriller that shocked me as much as Gone Girl. So I'm like hunting oh, yes. that thriller that will give me that same. Oh, I think God. this might be it. I've
4: I've read Gone Girl. Um, do you know I read so much that if often if you say to me, so what's that book about, Simone? If I haven't read it in the last year, I've completely forgotten. So, but Gone Girl, from what I remember of that that narrative, yeah, that one, this is on par with that.
1: Okay, definitely. great. I'm definitely going to read it. Who's
4: the time. author there? I can't see the cover. It's Harriet Tice. Okay, so it's a Sunday Times bestseller. So I would recommend this before. Is my it set season. in the UK? It is, which is nice.
1: Yeah,
4: it's nice.
1: So yeah. So what, what I loved about um my sister, the serial killer, was that I realized that all the books I read are based in the UK. So yes. A chance to
4: that one's a bit different. Yeah.
1: to our guests for joining us today and giving the lovely listeners some more insight into their writing process and what it's like to submit to Ripple. For news on when you can buy your own copy of the Ripple anthology go to kingsonripple.wordpress.com